good morning and welcome to the Flat Out Recovery. Morning, gentlemen. Good morning, good morning. And welcome back from the wilderness, Neil. I know, it feels like that. It's not been that long, but it feels like ages, doesn't it? Does, it does, doesn't it? It's under a year, isn't it? In fact, it feels forever time. We're in August and it feels like October at the moment. The weather's just like... The year's going the other way. Don't! The year's going... I, can't, I don't know where's the time going. Where's, I don't know. I really don't know where the time's going. And I saw a gentleman at this since I got a little bit more rounded. He didn't recognise me until I was writing his face. That's a good thing, is it? I mean, I was wondering, because you were obviously texting at haste and there was a typo in your message. I'm still wondering who's Tim. <laughs> because you were just behind Tim, whoever Tim is. It's now dawn on me, it wasn't a typo at all. You've now turned time into someone called Tim. Tim. So, someone called Tim that we can never quite catch. Hence, we're always running after time, and no. the world goes faster and faster and faster as we get older. There you go. And you know what? I was very conscious about that tech. I didn't want to say I was running late. No. I was behind, if there's such a thing, I was running yeah. behind Tim. Being a little bit late is part of the course. <laughs> We've had that one before. Yeah. But yeah, it's really good to be back in the room and just feeling like, yeah, this is a big part of my recovery. Celebrating Richard's six years, like I said, he'd be able to wear his long trousers next year, be getting long trousers. Well, from, absolutely. I mean, know. it's scary how quick it's gone, really. And looking at the number, looking at the, the year, looking at what's happened since, looking at how much has happened in that time, and looking at the fact that I have stayed sober irrespective of what's happened in the course of those six years because I've had quite a lot of life events. But just shows it works, doesn't it? Because there are plenty of things that I could have just said, oh yeah, yeah, it's because of this, because of that. But no, you don't actually need to. You don't need to. When the head's telling you to take a day off for good, to make it a little bit better, to make this day a little bit better sometimes, and the other... That said, I mean, at some point over this, I'm going to have a me day and go and see Barbie in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> that might send you out. <laughs> no, the thing is, I need to take a day, right? This means I can do Barbieheimer, right? So I can actually do Barbie and Oppenheimer. <laughs> and I'm reliably informed by a friend of mine that Barbie is a pleasant surprise. I've known a few people have gone just over this weekend and one of the people was taking videos of herself. Grown woman, a very like grown woman acting like Barbie. And Maybe there'll be a spate of it, copycat stuff of people wandering about like Barbie, Barbie. and Ken. Yeah. Well, we're not having a Ken on our <laughs> podcast. No Kens. I was thinking about this because I had to go to the doctor's yesterday to go for the annual MOT. Mm. And of course, go and get this totally irrational fear. Like you're obviously totally something, irrational something's definitely fear. wrong something's, something's definitely, wrong. definitely wrong someone's got oh I couldn't sleep last night I must have been sweating oh god no what have I got what have I got what's wrong I bet my weight's gone I bet this has happened I bet there's something wrong with my blood pressure there'll be something else and then this nurse takes me in and she does all this stuff and she takes four vials of blood she said yeah yeah fine and the come down from all this massive built up anxiety yeah like crazy anxiety of course I don't know what the results of the bloods are yet and then I thought well you know maybe I could go and see Barbie because I had a few other tasks to do I got to Solihull I was doing the other bits like I knew I had to go back up to the bank in Sheldon and we'll do all sorts of things I've got to do and suddenly I saw this trail of small children all headed for the cinema and I thought oh shit it's the summer holiday isn't it 
I can't go at 11 o'clock in the morning into a film screening on my own with children like that. I think, right, no, if I'm going to go during the day, I need a disguise because I can't go into the cinema full of small children if I'm just like this middle-aged bloke sitting on his own. I need a moustache. I need a beard. I need a wig. I need to do myself up so I look like someone else. And I need to borrow someone's small (laughs) child to make it look like I'm sort of a model. Anything. Well, we've got a big doll at the theatre with de-articulated limbs. Yeah. I could dress on it. It's about four feet tall. So if I dressed it up properly and made it up, then... No, I'm not deranged. It's not a doll. This is human. And no, she doesn't speak. But, but you know that kind of thing, like, this woman of age, you know, she went there and she sent little videos of her and, like, I don't know, like you said, that little model thing, she's standing next to it and taking pictures. And I was at a festival the other day... Fat Freddy's Drop, have I got it right for the first time? Yeah, yeah. What a band. I knew nothing of them until this. And at the end of the set, the gentleman said something which just, I had to stop. And he said, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. It just went like, boom. I literally had to say like, wow, what a statement. What a lovely little way just to end a really good evening and something to really think about. Because, you know, people always kind of be at these little mantras around your own ears as you feel you are and all that kind of stuff yeah but i felt the way it was said i think like i was having a really good time so it just i really heard it i just said it's so true but i know mm. people go through some stuff growing up which is not nice it's sad i'm big on this world the word of responsibility though you know and this transitional stuff that we're going through this change initially one day at a time continuously not put something in us which we know is not going to benefit us but also part of that change is to break free of loads of little things because my little traumas little minimizing them there again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my little traumas what held me stuck in certain negative viewpoints of self and the world and all that led to substances and alcohol and everything else being my solution and when he said Matt I said yeah there you go responsibility I heard responsibility when he said that and Barbie is a fine example I came along to one of your pantomimes like what you produced <laughs> and Aaron we went back to childlike state very <laughs> very quick yeah. in this pantomime you know we got involved who knows it might be this year that I go back on stage in the pantomime oh I would love it you'd love it I think you should get oh. out there and play the wicked the wicked something yeah, yeah. or another yeah I'll not do that well I do the child <laughs> thing on the Friday afternoon the group I do on a Friday afternoon, I do the childlike stuff. Mm. And sometimes it's like get in the classroom, one of you be the teacher, and the others you've got to be five or you've got to be eight. <laughs> and you need to behave exactly like you are five or eight. Mm. Get rid of this, everyone's looking at me bullshit. Yeah. Get rid of this self obsessive thing. Bleat, whinge, cry, moan, tantrum, all of it. I remember our afternoon, we're doing drama. And Richard turns around to you and says, right, you need to get on all fours and honk like a pig. Oh. What would you feel about that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mortified, <laughs> terrified. Oh, my on. God, who is this bloke? I came into drama one time and I was playing a strop. I was acting like a kid. You had some spectacular strops. Yeah, I was acting like a kid. You had kid. one that was utterly brilliant. One day. I remember it. Puffing your chest out, strutting around the room. 
demanding that I do something instantly about this minor situation that would upset you. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I could understand exactly why you were upset. However, it was so funny to watch. I had to let it go <laughs> just for a bit longer before I actually acted on it. There you go. And then he gets you to the mic. We're loosening up. He calls it loosening up exercise. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're doing this stuff. And at first, I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm standing. Like, I'm getting rigid. I'm getting more kind of rigid. Like, like you said, you come on. And then like, you kind of think, oh, come on, get involved. And, and before you know it, you're childlike state. What I like best is when go. people do stuff like that spontaneously. Yeah, yeah. It's just, really a form of... Well, it's all the letting go, isn't it? And I think even over time, there are times when I struggle to let go of certain things. I mean, they're obviously not of dangerous gravity to me anymore. It's not anything that's going to lead me down the totally wrong path. They mm. tend to be petty, everyday things. But I still have to go through the process again and again and again. And I have to go through the process with people, and I have to go through the process with situations again and again. It's just I'm far more adept at dealing with the little stuff than I used to be. Because mm. what I used to do was turn the little stuff into something massive and try and keep all the big stuff hidden away in a cupboard somewhere. Mm. But of course you reach the point where the cupboard gets full and falls over. And that's it, that analogy around the elephants charging it, you could see that blatantly, you get out of the way because you don't want to be knocked over by the elephant, but, but that small stuff, the ants swarming all over you. Well, especially it, flying ants the last oh week my, or did so. You, did you get a take on them flying ants on Friday? They oh, gone all gosh, over, weren't oh, they? Oh my gosh, they were down my back and everything. I was at the bus stop like, and they must thought I was having a jig or something. I was <laughs> fighting them off. Yeah, it's paramount to my well-being I'm aware of this stuff and keep going through it like you said and sometimes it can be tiring and it can feel tiring I'm here again and especially like when you know you're acting out a little bit around this come on let it go it's not a big thing but when I came into recovery right, I didn't know much about it they'd say oh yeah you've got to do a few groups they were kind of vague about what we had to do yeah yeah do, do, groups. They, do you reckon if they'd have told you if you know when you came into treatment did they tell you you'd have to be like doing stuff like that or? well do you think you would have gone in? No. No, but I remember Aaron like going into treatment first time properly like, over 13 years ago. And I remember vividly jumping on the train at St Pancras Station and saying to myself, whatever these guys told me to do, I'm going to do. Just like, you know, I've had enough of this life. I can't take it no more. And I felt at that time it had stripped everything from me. And getting up to this treatment center, and it was around Christmas time, it was November the um, 19th it was, and they were rehearsing for a Christmas play. And all of a sudden they said, right Neil, you've got this part and and this part. And I think if you put the two parts together, it was about seven lines. <laughs> and I'm frozen in fear again, like, like holding onto the seat, thinking, oh, I can't do this. And then I remembered what I said to myself on that train journey. And then they said, oh yeah, we've got another little one-line thing. I said, I'll do it. Because I had to remember I had to get out of the way of myself. And forward 10 years and coming into changes and coming across Richard, I wasn't aware until the day. Everyone's having a fang. I saw Richard there just like doing what Richard does, like having his fang and tuning in to everyone's conversation. Yep, I can hear everything. <laughs> tuning into it. It's like tuning into individual voices. <laughs> And then going into the group, he's presenting himself and then taking what he'd heard in us having our little break and our thing and brought it into drama. And I'm like, what? No. Yet again, 10 years later, I'm still saying, no, I can't do this. And furthermore, why is this guy taking these situations, what he's heard, 
and bringing it into the room and you just get beaten into a place of submission yeah and like it makes no sense my head's still being resistant it makes no sense what he's doing but just do it just get away yourself and try your best and maybe have a little bit of fun with it as well you know i saw some people smiling they knew what was going on no one informed me the, the little toe rats <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, like, <laughs> just got involved you did work out why I was doing it in the end, though, didn't you? I worked it out from the first session, but yeah. it was only at the end of the session when you brought us back into the circle. Well, you see, this thing, it's always worked out how people are interacting because it tells you a lot about what you need to do with them as a group. But also, if you're going to do something that's really off the wall, don't tell them exactly what you're going to do. Don't give them a heads up. Don't give them a chance to opt out and then explain yourself properly at the end. Yeah. I've always done it that way. Yeah. Then with nothing, adults, I've always done it that way. And then nothing what was really interesting, Aaron, was the fact that we'd done this scene and I thought, okay, he's going to give us something different to do. No, it was like, we're going to develop this now. And I'm like, develop. We're going to twist it. Develop what? <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's nowhere else to go with this. And he's very, really excited and he's laughing away. I think, what's he laughing at? What? And he's like, right, you're going to take that character and you're going to do this with it. And like, you know, he's giving us little ideas. And by the end of the session, we've done four different takes on one little idea, four different little mini scenes. On, and he's left us to take responsibility around what's going to be said in that little scene, how it's going to pan out. He's given us some guidance. So, yet again, it, it's like, I can't get through this something. But yeah, here we go. I've got through this. And at the beginning, like he said, if he would have said, this is what we're doing. I said, no, 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 that can't be done. <laughs> no. No, it's not possible. No, it's not possible. And furthermore, I have it come here to do drama because it's not going to help with my therapy. Yeah. Well, 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 well. And all this. It's interesting what works, isn't it? Yeah, and I think you need a variety of things to yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, combination. Because if you just sat in a room and this is a group, it's not long before you start thinking, what's this for? Yeah. Whereas if that varies, and if it's different in terms of how it's presented, then you don't have that question in your head. No. There's not the what is this for. And it's the same as the thing we had in schools. The way of finding out why the kids were kicking off was often, let's have a look at what they see every day. And you look at one day in the week, they're in these five lessons, and even though they're different subjects, they're all being presented in this dull way, all five of them. No wonder the kids are all mad by... <laughs> after lunchtime. <laughs> of course they are, because they're being bored into submission, but of course then they get reactive. I think it is important because our brains are resistant when we come into rehab, whatever too. I mean, for me it was art. But I was just sitting there going, I can't do this, won't do this, can't do it. And I just ended up with just shades of black, 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 dark, dark, darkness. <laughs> no, I'm not painting, I want this dark, black, hell. And for other people, you had people that didn't want to do anything at the gym because of embarrassment or whatever. You had people that didn't want to do the music bit. Talk about the drama. When I was doing music, that was even more difficult. But I do think it's important that we're exposed to anything that challenges us, whereby our instinctive reaction is going to be, I'm not doing it. You've got to be hit with that, I think. It doesn't matter how. It doesn't matter what the session is that makes it happen. It's like if we said to a group here, said, right, we're taking you all up Snowden, and you've got two of them that are just completely against the idea. Mm. For them, that going up Snowden would be the crossing point, wouldn't it? Yeah. Whereas there might be three other people who've already been up there before and would be quite happy to 
climb up there without walking. So for them, that wouldn't be the biggie. But something else would be the biggie for those three. So you've got to trial different stuff just to find that crisis point where they want to say, I'm not fucking doing this, but then they end up doing it. And it's more important that the person crosses through and chooses to do it themselves. If you're constantly dragging the alcoholic or the addict along with you, there's a point where you lose concentration, turn away for a second, and they're in the pub before you know it. Yeah, Whereas if they're choosing to do something that they don't particularly want to do, mm. then there's far more chance of them staying on the path. And yes, nearly, it's all about personal responsibility, isn't it? Yeah. We did yoga in our organisation. That's a cracker, yeah. Right. I didn't mind the yoga, but to warm up, they get you dancing, and like, they're all in a circle. Oh, no! Like, ah! God. <laughs> Yeah, I used to dance, I used to go out raving and to gigs and stuff, but I'd have plenty of drugs inside me. <laughs> yeah, you'd be full of drugs, wouldn't <laughs> yeah. you? Yeah. It's just so funny. Like, But what I found is the person who didn't want to do it, they're the ones that sort of stuck out, just throwing a little fit or whatever. They're the ones that people would... No one would hold it against them, apart from like the facilitators, I guess, just for not taking responsibility. But yeah, they'd stick out more than the people who are actually doing it. And it's incredibly obvious if you're facilitating a group, if someone is disengaged. Mm. If there's one or two people in a group of eight or 15 or even 30, anyone that's disengaged just sings to you. It's like they've got the big lottery hand over them. With addicts and alcoholics, because we don't have desks and tables and everything in the way, you can tell by body language whether people mm. are engaged or not. And something like dancing before yoga, that's a real icebreaker, that is, isn't it? How many people do you normally get just sitting in the corner going, No! <laughs> I'm traumatised! <laughs> what? what? I've been traumatised by yoga! <laughs> do you remember when it first been answered dance? What was it, palpitations? Was it cold sweat? Yeah, yeah, I just uh, uh, just looked at fear. the floor. The instructor was quite pretty, so... That helped. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just looked at the floor. Marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> the instructor was fit, so I really engaged with it then. Yeah. I gave it a go. <laughs> it encouraged me to give she it. She persuaded no, I felt me. like an absolute tit, to be honest. It was just like, I've got to do this. Like Neil was saying, like when I came in to recover it, I was so desperate. I just wanted I'd just do it. I'll do anything. Mm. I'll do anything. My first week in recovery was, I mean, I nearly got kicked out the first week because I started on someone in a group. And then that's when I got challenged. And if I hadn't got that straight away, then I wouldn't be sat here today. Yeah. How big do you think the under the radar thing is in treatment? Because, okay, you've gone in there, been obvious, and like a 14-year-old boy, you've got your fists out first. That means you get challenged on it and you're going to go one way or the other. Then you get to your yoga thing and you've got five people that quite happily do what they're doing. You've got another five that grudgingly say, well, I said I was going to do what I was told, so I'm going to do it. You've got three that sit in the corner going, I'm not fucking doing it. And then you get to another group and it's gradually and everyone's been challenged, but there's this core of four people who are, yes, no, three backs full, just do everything, and they never get challenged. Why do they never get challenged? Because maybe we're only looking at the guy with his fists out yeah, and the guy in the corner saying, I'm not fucking doing this. And the girl who keeps running out saying she wants the toilet when actually she doesn't want to be in a room full of men, but she's not able to articulate that. Yeah, yeah. 
we're looking at the obvious flashpoints, we're looking at the obvious profiles. What if there are three or four in there who we're just coasting? No, I have actually seen that. They'll share in every meeting and it looks like they, you know, they're really enthusiastic about everything that they're doing. Mm. And then three weeks later, they're running off to Manchester to take crack. There was a few little red flags with that particular person, but it was hard to challenge them on that. You know, they were doing the step work, they had a sponsor. I think with people like that, you've got to irritate them. We were saying, like, you're a fraud. and it, Saying stuff ain't kind of nice. Like, I'm just really putting it anti up there with saying a word like that. But it's that kind of way, like, niggle. You've got to really kind of niggle at them because there's a strong sense in the force that you're seeing that this person is coasting. And you've got to grate them a little bit and hear it. But it's got to be constant and it's not nice. It's got to be done to take the mask off, so to speak. Because yeah, I agree because what often happens is that they'll quote treatment talk a lot and they will quote literature a lot and they will give stock answers or they'll give answers that don't show any emotional response because the honest emotional response is the guy who sits in an AA meeting and says, I'm really in trouble with this. I could kill for a fucking beer right now. Mm. That's honesty. Whereas the person who sits there in a meeting just says, everything's great, actually. Yeah, I've got meeting with the, with the family and, and everything's great with them. And then I've got this and I've got a job. And, then, and you start thinking, hang on, how much of this do you mean? Because you're talking about all the things you're getting back, but you're not talking about what you feel like mm. at the moment. But I think Whereas Johnny over there who says he could murder a pint, right. we know where he's at and we're going to help him. Yeah, but I think also, to be fair to those people close along, some of them so just want to leave that stuff behind. Where they are at the moment, they're so happy and they're genuinely kind of happy. Does that make yeah. sense? They are all right and everything's right, but it's not all right. <laughs> because they don't really know what's not right at the moment. Yeah. But when they're sitting with themselves, I think where they sell themselves short, people like that, like, and they'll look back at my experience, and I think, yes, I've been one of those people where, like, in a sense, just not being able to verbalise how I feel. And when I am doing it with people, I feel that they're not really listening to me either. Like, I'm, it's not heartfelt, because they maybe see me smiling all the time, so they don't, they've got that in their psyche. But I think there's a lot of people just like they genuinely they don't know how they really feel and they don't know how to express that and that's a big thing all in itself mm. that's where just like you've got to go do all those different variations of different kind of therapy things so the drama the music the yoga the this and that sometimes like with these people you've got to keep tapping in loads of different things until they finally say like that because most of the time it's an ego thing and for me it's evidence of an emotional response is what breaks it down yeah whether it's anger, whether it's sadness, whether it's loss, anything that's clearly an emotional response. Mm. Because someone who's coasting because they've got to a point and they desperately don't want to go back to where they've been, there will be something that will set them off emotionally. It's when people don't set off emotionally, no matter what you throw at them, that's when I smell a rat. Mm. It's when I hear people talking about acceptance, but they sound like they've never accepted anything because it's at the core of any form of denial mm. is people talking the talk and saying, yeah, well, I accept that this is going to happen. And yet everything they're doing and saying doesn't suggest that they're accepting it. And 
they give themselves away with little things sometimes. It's like you were talking about the dry house environment the other week. It's very difficult in that context to challenge someone who appears to be doing all the right things because you have it drilled into you in that environment that it's when people do things that are obviously off that you have to do something about it, whether you tip off anonymously or whether you directly say it in a group or whatever. But what you're not encouraged to look at is when people are just ticking a box. I can understand why rehabs don't go hell for leather on that, because of half the people that look like they're ticking a box, they're actually doing the right things. They're not quite found it yet, but the other half are faking it. I suppose a rehab has to accept that some people are going to fake it. What a thing to manage. <laughs> yeah. No, I really tip my hat to these people who for years upon years, you know, I'm stick in that environment of that career path, you know, that profession. Um, I really do because it, there's a hat what you have to wear. I think it's a multi-hat in it. It's like made from many different Multitaskers hat. Yeah. I wonder how that would look. We should design one, shouldn't we? Like, uh, it's a difficult one and I think like sometimes, yeah, you have to allow people just to kind of get to that point, like you're saying, that emotional point. With me, it was this thing where like, I get this damning feeling, this inferiority around like, no one likes me. And there's no evidence that no one said anything like that. But when I'm sitting with myself of an evening yeah. time, waking up of a morning time, and especially, and it's something which has just been entrenched in me because of my behaviours and what I've done. Like, obviously people are gonna have a little bit issue with me. I really put it on a deep rooted thing. I heard someone talk about, I've installed it into my marrow kind of thing. It's that deep throwing that into people's faces and then kind of saying, no, Neil, don't be sick. It's like, you, you don't understand. And I think mm. a lot of people, like we were talking about, you know, you're waiting for that emotional response. A lot of it's, I think it's on that borderline. They don't feel good about themselves and they put out this false projection. It's not false projection, it's just trying to be normal. Just I think they're just like trying to assimilate normal, yeah. some of them. And some people are putting a projected version of themselves out and they don't even know they're doing it. And they don't even know that they're doing it and they construct a new one for being in rehab, which is different from the ones they've had before. Uh, yeah. And the saddest thing of all is that you can have people go through that, go through the motions, do all the right things, and then apparently to everyone around them inexplicably relapse. Didn't see that one coming. It's very hard to impress on someone else the need to feel everything that you're doing, whether you like it or not in the course of that journey into admittance and acceptance and then looking for help because you need it. How do I say to someone else, when you do that step three, you should feel like you've been hit around the side of the head by a huge wet fish. <laughs> maybe not that, you know. Maybe clump with a snooker cue, you know. But you should feel a real moment when it hits you what that really means. It should be boom. And how do I impress on someone how I said, look, it might not feel the same for you as it did for me, but if you don't feel anything, we might have to look at it again. Yeah. And this is not about God. I knew one guy. I remember him saying, I don't need a sponsor, I've got God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when you sit down with God for your weekly, you know, <laughs> bit of work. By the way, is it, has he got leather settee? Has he got poofs? Has he got footstools? Has he got a nice nest of occasional tables in his front room? What's his patio like? What's his conservatory like? He must have a lot of conservatory space. How do you travel up there to your weekly meeting with God? 
No, actually what happens at your weekly meeting with God is you sit in a room by yourself and you tell yourself that you're right about everything. <laughs> That's what actually happens, isn't it? Look, you need to separate this thing of religion as church and of spirituality as 12-step. Yeah, personal experience. Please, for your own sake, because you can quite easily do both or you can easily incorporate one into the other. But I've met people that have done that. You can quite easily do it without any actual God in the conventional sense at all. But what you can't do is sit there and say, it's all right, I've got God to do it for me. <laughs> what, God's going to do your step four and five? You only need to write it down, but you're missing a point. The reason why in step five we have to admit to God and to another human being is because I've got to read it out to someone else to fucking own it. Because mm. if I don't do that, I don't own it. I'm not saying, this is mine, this is me. If it's just me and God sitting there like that and, and me saying, yeah, well, I did this, I did that. Will you forgive me? All right, I'm forgiven. All right, fine. Then, then I can tell everyone around me that I don't need a sponsor like everyone else because I'm special and different, I am. Mm -hmm. I've got the main man. You know, I thought of, like, you know, when you talked about the fish thing and being clumped over the head, I thought of, was it Timmy Mallet? <laughs> Why he came into my head, I don't know. Because he had, like, a cushioned mallet. Yeah, it whack it, eh? So here we go. <laughs> this is an instructional video on step three. When you do it, what should happen is, out of nowhere, Timmy Mallet should appear and yeah. hit you with his yeah, mallet. Yeah, yeah, And I think, like, what it was, like, the reason why, because I thought about him as well, was because... I saw him at a fun fair with my son. And my what was he doing with your son? No, I was with my oh, son. Right. <laughs> I was with my son and, and I was at a fun fair and I see him and I was like, ah, oh, there's Mallet. And my son was so small, he didn't really know who he was, but I'm excited. And I've gone like, hi. And, and he looks at me like, you know, we look like, please just don't, like, you know, I'm <laughs> trying to enjoy the day. You know, and, and I thought they're miserable sod because I wanted him to be that excitable. Yeah. Man who hits people over the head with a man, it's like, and, yeah, he, and, and he, he wasn't. just wasn't. I struck gold on that one <laughs> when I was six. Yeah. My uncle, who worked for Radio 1 at the time, yeah. got me to Jagger's place pop. <laughs> and there I am, expecting all that, and Jagger's came and he gave me a hat. <laughs> <laughs> he must have been about 18 or 19 at yeah, the time, because yeah. it was when it started. Yeah, and he was just the same as he was <laughs> on the telly. Um, the walls. What I later came to realise, he was probably pissed. <laughs> <laughs> because, bless him, Cheggers was, of course, one of us. One of us. A mate of mine ran into John Cleese mm. eating chips on the beach. Mm. And he was just completely objectionable. So. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a story about meeting someone yeah. who's in the public eye, and they turn out to be absolutely <laughs> not. not what you're expecting yeah, burst your bubble. or identical hmm. but yeah I mean Timmy Mallet really should be on it all the time he should be should have his mallet with him all the time as well just in case like you know. I wonder how many people they actually employed to be Mr Blobby because Mr Blobby surely is constant <laughs> goes it all the time he lose about half a stone in that, in that you, thing, oh yeah you, you need three separate actors to keep <laughs> Mr Blobby going for a day it's all that kind of stuff. I think it ties in with what we were just kind of talking about. Showing this and kind of space being that. And it's very similar. Navigating and, and working through that stuff. I've got a word which I've just been using. It's just come out of maybe a reading or something I've read along the way or something. And it's this thing about being like, you know, so it's that proactive stuff of admitting your wrongs and, and that stuff and taking that responsibility. 
that paradox of my being gentle with myself yeah. whilst I'm going through these processes. And like I said, you know, I walked into that first rehab 13 years ago and I was like, uh, I'm going to do what they told me to do. And my take on it then was like, if I do exactly what they told me to do, I'm going to be all right. Not knowing that I had to feel some stuff, like you said, and go through some stuff on a personal mm. level. If I do what they told me, it's all the... But they're telling me, but they also tell me, no, oh, you need to have an experience with this stuff. And I, that was the ingredient, that was the cracks, what just... There was a little fracture because I just grasped that thing and then before I knew it, there was just big cracks all over the place and inevitably I'm back in the trap house thinking, have I got back here? And this time around, I've just realised like, I've got to do some stuff, but I've got to be gentle with the fact that the results aren't going to be instant. You talked about revisiting some stuff like earlier on when we were speaking, you know, we're still holding on to some stuff. And, and we don't even really want to hold on to it, it just comes. It's like resentments, isn't it? It's like they can come back after we've dealt with them, mm. particularly in the shape of people, and have to reprocess something I've already processed because it's manifested in another person who probably never knew the original person I got the resentment against. But I've still got to deal with that because mm. it's come up for me. Because this idea that we just cover everything in rehab and then we tick all the boxes and then we go out and live our lives is bollocks. Yeah. This is constant, isn't it? It's a constant, ongoing process. And I'm all right with that today. I think I've mm -hmm. come to terms with that today and I think that's, that's a big part of... Well, we do, don't we? If we stay around and if we keep doing it and if we stay clean and sober, we do come to terms with that. Mm. And we accept it rather than become resigned to it. You know, it's not a dirge, it's not a torture. It's not a life sentence, this idea that we have to deal with life. It's just something that we need to do as adults. I was waiting for that word to come. And <laughs> yes, it had to come, didn't it? I don't want to be an adult. I just want to just watch Timmy Mallet and... <laughs> watch Timmy Mallet and push my pramlet. I want to be Mr Blobby. I want to go and hide in a big pink suit. And I want to go to see Barbie, but I can't go because it's school holidays and I've got to, take, got to find somewhere. Well, those kids going to say, I need a disguise. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go, okay? I'm going to go to Barbie and I'm going to go to Oppenheimer because I want to see both. Mm. However, I'm just going to have to see through my ridiculous, self-obsessed, oh, all these little kids are looking at me. They're not. They're looking at Margot fucking Robbie. <laughs> not me. And half of them would be saying, why isn't this about Barbie? Why can Barbie talk? Why and I was sitting there saying, shut the fuck up. At which point, a parent will turn around to me and say, she's two. <laughs> I don't care. Don't bring her to the fucking cinema then. But no, I have to get over that one. And I'll have to just go in and watch it. And okay, I'm not going to go as far as a disguise. It was just a thought. But I will probably try and go at 10 o'clock in the morning because there'll be fewer small children than there will be at three in the afternoon. Small children do get up pretty early. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, but it's a question of what would be ideal for the parents, oh, I suppose. Would the parents prefer to take their small children at 10 o'clock in the morning or at two or three in the afternoon? If we're getting scientific about it, I think two or three because they're hoping it's going to tire them out. 
No. That would be my thought. I would be looking more at the sort of mid to late afternoon. Depending on how old your kid is, you don't want them napping in the day because they want to go to sleep at night. And then you'll have a kid There's also a possibility <laughs> they might be absolutely hyper That's yeah. after watching after Barbie. Watching it, yeah. Yeah. And then want to put yeah. Barbie on songs on. Because then there's <laughs> merchandising and all that, isn't there? Oh, yeah, I mean, I presume they can buy an outfit at the cinema. Yeah. Or if not, at some convenient outlet nearby. And play out a couple scenes when they get home. Like a oh, couple God. <laughs> I'm just going to do it, aren't I? Mm. And just Maybe they should do like specific adult screenings where there's no children and only adults can go. When I was at university and we discovered this way at the York multiplex whereby if we bought one ticket at the beginning of the day, they only check your ticket on the way in from the ticket office. Once you were in the complex, they didn't check your ticket again. Mm. So we'd buy one, take a packed lunch and stay there all the time. And we almost got found out one night because it looked, and the only thing that would time right before Reservoir Dogs, the only thing that would fit was The Lion King. And my friend, and he said, we're three blokes, we can't go in there, they're going to think we're gay. <laughs> <laughs> and the other guy with us goes, worse still, they're going to think we're having a threesome. <laughs> so look, they're small children, they're not going to think any of these things. <laughs> Just because we're three men doesn't mean we're automatically got to be gay. <laughs> and also, just because they're three doesn't mean it's automatically about sex. These are small oh. children coming to watch a film. Oh. It's going to look a bit odd. Yeah, three blokes going <laughs> in over that. And I'm doing the same thing, aren't I, with Barbie? The idea that all these small children are actually bothered about one middle-aged bloke who's obviously got nothing better to do coming in to watch their film. Oh. It's like a press pass or something. Like a film critic. Permanent Gazette. Yeah. Actually, a press pass would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah Permanent Gazette. I could print myself one that just says press. It might even give you a bit of popcorn for that. Well. Yeah. You could make your own, actually, couldn't you? Yeah. I'll make my own press pass so I can go and see stuff that's for kids without fear of embarrassment. It's reviewing. Well... I think it's a case of point, though, isn't it? That there's the part of me that resents the fact that I always prefer to go to the cinema in the morning because hardly anybody's there. And because hardly anybody's there, it means I actually get to watch it. And I'm unreasonably saying, how dare these small children fall out of me when that film is for everyone and it is slaying the box office. I will go and I will stop being ridiculous and pedantic and being secretly scared of three-year-olds. <laughs> what if one of them talks to me? Why are you here? <laughs> I've just come to watch the film. So if one of them come up and called you Ken. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, oh, Ken! Yeah, my name is Ken Ken. Yeah. I can do... looks like Ken, Mum, there's Ken. Uh, well, thankfully, I don't look like Ken. Like three-year-old. Uh, the perspective of children never ceases to amaze me and the perceptions of children never cease to amaze me. It's a beautiful thing. But it's funny, isn't it, how these things come up every day. It's like for a normal person, I very much doubt that they'd have the reaction to the idea of going to Barbie at 10 o'clock in the morning like I have. Normal people don't react like that, do they? I don't know. Or is this an ongoing middle-aged man problem? I can't go and see films about toys. Unless they're Transformers. 
It's the Transformers I can go because those films are made for middle-aged men who want to be 12. And they're made by a middle-aged man who wants to be 12. However, any toy that's not Transformers, it's not a manly toy. I can't do this. Maybe it is a home improvement thing. We're all stuck in the sitcom. Anyway, we have just about exhausted time. Doesn't it go quickly? It does. Like we said at the beginning of this, it flies me having fun. Ish. Well, it's like you said, Neil, it's August, and I cannot believe it's already August. And the years are just a map of science fiction that I can see coming up. All these years, uh, 2024, 2025, there's some crap sci-fi series set in all of them, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And before we know it, it'll be Buck Rogers. I <laughs> know, oh, yeah. we won't get that far. That was 25th century, wasn't it, or something? Uh, we've gone past Tron, haven't we? We're into the Tron. We're into Tron now. We've got to be into Tron now. Space 1999 was just like, it yeah, freaks yeah. me out. All, all, like, when we went past that one, I'm like, this, we're not supposed to still be here, are we? And to think that that and the Prince record, 24 years old. Mm. Well, you see, when I hear people talk about 1980, I think, oh, it's 20 years ago. <laughs> It's 43 (laughs) years ago, 1980. Like saying it will always be the year 2000 because anything past that, it's just like your brain don't want to think about it. Don't want to think about it, yeah. It's all beautiful. The end of the 90s is a travesty. Will you be here 20 years later still doing this thing, Richard? I'll be quite happy if I'm still doing something like this in 20 years' time. I'll be quite happy to be still here sober (laughs) in 20 years' time. Just to be here. Well, we change our priorities and perspectives in recovery, don't we? And that this is what I know that I have and this is what I need to hold on to. And the things I need to hold on to are no longer material, are they? Not in the way they once were. And I'm kind of glad of that because the thought of just being tied to all these material things, it actually frightens me, really, because you can lose everything materialistically. But I can't lose everything in here. And I can't lose everything in me. Well, I don't need to. So, without further ado, we will love you and leave you. And Neil will hopefully be back again soon, having been in absentia for a while. If you've heard anything that has resonated with you, whether it concerns yourself or someone you know, or someone you don't know very well, or someone you work with, or someone who lives on your street or wherever, if you have any concerns at all, do seek help. There are all sorts of services out there. There are services for those of us who misuse chemicals, There are also services for the family and there are services for people who are attempting to deal with other people who are close to them or who live next door to them who are under the influence and not helping. There are all sorts of things out there to help and they don't all cost So without further ado, we'll see you next week. We'll be back next week and you'll hear us next week. Have a lovely weekend and it's a good night you'll meet. Never too late to have a happy childhood. I'll leave it there. Thanks, Neil. (laughs) 